Hello, and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart, and in this episode, we're talking with Nat Mann. Nat, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for jumping on kind of last minute. I was actually putting together an episode just to kind of go over psycho performance stuff and, and, and talking to, you know, a bunch of people I knew. Everybody's like, hey, you got to talk to Nat. You should ask Nat that question. So uh, you and I kind of chatted on psycho Slack for a little bit and you were available. So, hey, I appreciate you kind of jumping on last minute to talk about uh, psycho performance and specifically kind of some of the some of the main themes that we see uh uh, as we've as we've kind of uh, worked our way through the Sitecore world and gotten all that great experience of dealing with sites that just aren't aren't performing how we'd like, so uh, again, I appreciate you coming on the, the the show. Why don't you give a little bit of background, kind of how you got involved with Sitecore and your 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 journey to where you are now? Okay, so uh, I mean, I've been a .NET developer since pretty much .NET was introduced in two thousand and one, but. Uh, I had a particular interest in e-commerce and also in content management systems because of their close um, integration you have to have and the discussions you have to have with people who actually use your systems. So uh, I got into Umbraco in around 2006-2007, well, in very early version 2, yep. and uh, eventually ended up being a freelancer. I ended up uh, taking a contract where Cycle was their CMS of choice, so I had to learn it on the job and, and I've been doing it ever since. Nice, nice. Uh, so it seems to be a common theme that I, I don't think anybody purposefully comes to the platform. They just kind of get thrown into it. And I had a discussion uh, with my last guest, Cam Ruse, and we were just talking about how we kind of uh, kind of offline how we learned a lot of stuff. And it was just that why is it, why is this not working? And you're like, I don't know. I, I got to go look at the code. Or working with someone that knew Sitecore, I I found myself honestly asking questions of like, hey, why is this happening? They're like. I don't know, go look at, go look at the code. And if it was Sitecore's code, just go open it in Reflector and figure out what's going on with it. So it was just kind of that. I, I found a, a common theme of people that are kind of thrown into these, these Sitecore projects. You're kind of having to try and figure things out. And oftentimes that's running stuff through a decompiler just to see how, uh, see how it's actually working and kind of file that away and use it for next time. Yeah, pretty much the same for me. Uh, there was it. I did have a couple of guys in the early days who I could ask, you know, be using Cycle Loader for longer than me. But otherwise, yeah, pretty much. My, my, I think uh, becoming a Cycle expert is also, you know, becoming a dot peak or, you know, like you said, Cycle expert. <laughs> yeah, Reflector or dot peak or IL Spy or any of those. The um, so talking about Cycle performance, I, you know, I in my mind I had a, a kind of a couple areas that I was going to cover. Uh, I think one of which actually was was a problem I was running down today. Um, and you know, somebody mentioned it was, it, it had to do with, I'm not going to get into the architectural side of it, but you know, kind of the event queue and having caches cleared. And so Sitecore itself, um, does a lot of caching internally. If you, if you've kind of ever opened the, the, the SQL server, that backend Sitecore, you're kind of like, it, this thing must be doing a ton of self joins in its own, in its own queries. And how, do, how is that actually performing? And the answer is Sitecore caches almost everything. Uh, 
you know, so much gets cash. But the one, the one thing that I, I think a lot of people don't, and or at least a lot of projects I've been involved with, uh, and I, and this is coming in after a lot has been built or it's kind of been done as an afterthought is I don't think a lot of people use HTML caching. It's, it's something that's built right into Sitecore. It doesn't really take any more code, uh, to, to actually utilize, but it will give you a ton of performance where if you know, and if you're not familiar with it, if you're familiar with kind of, you know, you were talking about going way back to early, early.net, you know, ASP.net always had some sort of output cache. You could, you could label a page such that it would be held in memory so that the code behind and everything that ran on that page didn't have to run again. It just took the rendered HTML and returned that. So you were saving a ton of performance time where it was taking that, that information that was in, that was already computed and just returning it to the client. And Sitecore has that uh, almost, you know, it's very similar. It doesn't use the same mechanism, but it's a very similar approach of, you have these layouts and you have a, a whole bunch of renderings on a page. Each one of those could be cached and you could take the output of them such that you're not having to calculate it every single time and then actually out, return, have Sitecore return the computed HTML. And I think that's a, that's kind of an easy performance gain if you're, if you're not using that already. There's a few gotchas. You have to make sure you're varying that 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 cache based on parameters such that if you have different data sources for the same rendering that it's going to keep two different copies of that HTML. But that was that was a quick one that kind of came to my mind just out of a discussion I had with someone else this morning of uh, that it, it it seemed to be a um an area that I don't see a lot of people taking advantage of that's that's actually very very low friction to implement. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see uh, in the world, obviously, like I said, I see a lot of different solutions in the world. And I see that, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where statically bound renderings, for example, aren't cached. They, uh, you know, because the, especially in early versions of, uh, well, pre- anything probably pre rates update three, I think there was a lot of issues with um, the actual rendering definition items failing to respond to caching settings properly as well. So I think that added to the kind of notion that if I put something statically bound on page, I'll get um, you know I'll get all the caching functionality out of the box from Sitecore, and actually that there was a bug that meant that didn't work. So that's one that I see when I'm doing my performance analysis. I see quite often, but I guess more on that the the idea that people need to spend time on their you know performance of their site, they need to spend serious amounts of time looking at it and, and figuring out what the site is actually doing behind the scenes. So that can be, like you said, rendering caching, or that can be looking at the cache, you know, uh, the admin cache pages to make sure that, you know, they're not, they're not dropping the caches on a regular basis as you perform your performance tests. So those kind of things are, you know, on the caching side are, are the sort of real immediate gotchas that I see regularly in, in production. I think also um, alongside that, there was a, if you're calling it a, um, a control rendering as well, uh-huh. um, there's there is a particular extension that exists in in Sitecore for MVC, uh, which is just at, at html.sitecore.controller, and that actually executes a controller without any caching settings applied at all. So, and that's another one I've seen I've seen people misutilizing, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously causes you know can cause serious problems in performance on the implementation. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that was one thing I remember uh, I think you had pointed out uh, in a blog post a while ago that that there's a, a better way of, you know, if you want, 
if you want that kind of component nature of having different renderings uh, and you have you have that you know you're calling uh, the helper function to take the output of a controller onto your under view um, I believe it's uh, if you call rendering instead and actually you can pass in caching options um, that will allow that the output of that to actually be cached I think in later versions of Circle, they must also have introduced a controller rendering. Um, I, I requested it some time back because of the, you know, because of the confusion around this issue. Sure. So sure. I think maybe post uh, eight point one, they might have introduced that. I'd have to speak to uh, one of the guys in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely, definitely something to, you know, if you haven't, if, if you haven't looked into it, um, it, it, it is a quick win because it, you know, even it, even if you have to kind of change the change the way you're calling these controllers uh, within your views it is it's taking advantage of the caching mechanism that's already there and a lot of the uh, a lot of the heavy lifting that goes on if you have a view that you know, gets data from an external system that doesn't change all that often or you know it's it's relatively static in the sense that it only changes any time that you publish data inside Sitecore. There's no reason not to cache that in the HTML cache. Yeah. Um, also, you have uh, I mean, obviously from 8.2 onwards, we have the ability to distribute our caches. You know, in a, in a Function, you know, um, the sorry service such as Redis, maybe or something like this. So right. that that's that's architecture. I think very exciting for you know from a performance standpoint. Yeah, and that um, was that was an interesting thing that came in eight two because I actually had a client that was that was fairly advanced and wanted to use HTML caching and actually looked at. Uh, looked at using Redis as as kind of a their their HTML cache, and at the time the 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 Sitecore caching API for the HTML cache was all uh, I can't remember I I, I want to say it was all marked as sealed classes, so you couldn't even extend them to to, to push that on into like like you said a Redis cache. So that was you know a, a welcome change in in a two of being able to do that. Oh for sure, and then obviously you know if you go a little bit further down down the tree, if you use um if you use Glasses URM, obviously, you know, I, I, I do a lot with Glass Mapper, but if you use Glasses URM, then when you get to the point at which, say, for example, you've got a form on page and, you know, you can't, you can't actively cache the output, then you can start to look at, you know, Glass to actually perform that caching for you as well. So, yeah, and there's so many layers of caching down the framework, you know, be it, you know, HTML caching, cycle caching, or, you know, or the glass caching, you just really, there's, there's no excuse to not have the ability to cache, I, I suppose, in, the, in, a, in a regular implementation. So time, time spent on it to make that work is always time, I think, that, you know, is going to pay dividends when it comes to, you know, looking at how your site performs in a production environment. Right, right. And, and, and just along those lines, I, I think the other thing, because I just, you know, talking with somebody that was, you know, their, their, their experience with Sitecore, um, they're, they, they come from kind of the, I, I don't mean to say classic ASP, I'm kind of a classical ASP.NET background, not going that far back, but you know, they look at their production server and they pointed out their, their worker process was consuming, I, I think at the time it was like four or five gigs of memory. And they're like, that seems really big until, you know, until I explain that Sitecore is doing a lot of caching. If you tune your caches, you're, you're running on, you know, you're, you're running in a, a virtual server, whether you're at AWS or, or like on an IaaS instance in Azure or something that's got 14 or 16 or 20 gigs of memory. 
assigned to it that why not take advantage of that? Why not have almost all of that in really fast memory as opposed to having to go back to the database every time to, to, to go get that information? Take advantage of you know these, these modern web servers that we run on have a ton of memory and that if you tune your caches right, you can take advantage of that. It may manifest itself as a worker process that's got a, a, a large memory footprint, but it's you also have to keep in mind that's mainly cache data. Yeah, absolutely. And and then you you know when you start to look at you know the wider infrastructures and you you know you truly multi multilingual solutions, a lot of that data is going to be you know replicated between data centers and stuff. And you, if that data isn't available, it's going to go and try and find it. So you know having a cache there that's got a lot of this stuff is is always paramount. I think I think it's very much a, it's it's a must. And you know if you want to get your cycle solution to run right. in a, in a timely fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of moving from caches onto, and I think, I, I guess it's probably proper to clarify. I, we're kind of discussing, we're, we're discussing performance issues within Sitecore itself, kind of on the, the back end. There is a, you know, I, I think there are not, it's not only a whole nother podcast of how to optimize your front end code. I think there are several podcasts out there uh, of, of folks that that that's what they do. And I guess I, I, it's probably worth clarifying uh, I am predominantly a back-end developer. I know a little bit about front-end, but in terms of, you know, a, and there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of thought around how to optimize a front-end, and I, I don't really intend on covering any of that here. This is actually looking at just Sitecore specifically. Um, but the next technology that I, I guess I wanted to move on to is looking at Sitecore queries. And historically, Sitecore, Sitecore has kind of had Sitecore query, and then there's the kind of the content, um, the 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 content search, which is is you know there's a query to it, but it's it's a kind of a different API. Um, one thing to kind of keep in mind with Sitecore queries, it's a great uh, you know almost XPath like language for getting at items, um, but you have to be you have to be fairly judicious of where you use it because under the scenes that that those queries are you know, potentially walking the entire tree. You know, if you're doing a, uh, a Sitecore query and you just, you know, you're, you want to find every instance of something that's got this template assigned to it and you start at the root and say, give me everything that's, you know, of uh, a product detail template. Um, that's going to, Sitecore is going to walk through the entire tree to actually build out the result set. Uh, which is, uh, you know, depending on the size of your tree, it could get really expensive. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of the time with cycle queries, for example, the the one you just gave the example of finding a, a you know, something by its template for it, um, I've, I found, you know, with obviously the content search API, there's numerous occasions where I'd want to find something by its actual base template rather than a template itself. So I might yep. want, I might want uh, you know, a news, I might have like a news page on my site, and I might have like firm news and industry news and, you know, each of the news types would be very, very specific. But actually, if I want to go give me the last 10 news articles, I'm not interested in a, you know, a firm news page or, a, uh, you know, a, or an industry news page. I'm just interested that at some point it inherits from, you know, a news article. Yep. And after that, you know, you start to look at the content search API and it becomes much better at doing that sort of thing. But uh, and tends to obviously cause less tree walking, like you said. So I guess from that point of view. Um, when it comes back to cycle query, uh, you, as you said, you have to use it judici judiciously. You have to figure out um, what damage you're going to do also in the in the content editor, because obviously when you start to run these things and you run them in production, you know you, all of your uh, you know your content delivery servers will have most of these queries cached on a regular basis. But when you start to look at it in a, in the 
content editing environment, you know, such as the page editor, then a lot of these queries will actually run as they are. So, you know, you don't have, you have none of the cycle caching available. It will just literally hammer your database to find the newest version of every single content item you requested. So you can actually destroy your page editor performance, not as well as, you know, potentially your front end kind of content delivery server performance. Yeah. And you, you raise a good point. Cause I mean, we talked about caching earlier, but when you're using the, when you're using the page editor or the experience editor, you're, you're, you're working not in a cached environment. So kind of the caching, you know, all bets are off with caches there and that you are actually going after, after live data. So, you know, that, that is, you know, that is definitely a, uh, something to keep in mind, especially given, you know, certain versions of Sitecore, uh, it has definitely gotten better in different versions, but you know, there were, there are times where the first time you hit the experience editor, if you watch the log file, Sitecore is going in and compiling all of its speak views. And I've seen that on, on relatively, you know, beefy production hardware take, you know, 30 seconds to a minute for the experience editor to come up. On, on older versions of, uh, of Sitecore. So if you're on, you know, particular versions of Sitecore, you, you don't want to hurt, uh, you don't want to hurt the performance of your experience editor for your, uh, for the content editors, just be, you know, because it's, it can be slow. Uh, it can be slow to begin with. Um, and it's definitely been improved in, in other versions, but I have seen, uh, I have seen, you know, definite performance issues of when the, the page editor keeps loading, just Sitecore compiling its own stuff and then having to deal with your code not being all that performant is definitely definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, we've actually just done some similar work uh, with GlassMapper to improve uh, startup performance times for some of the some of the interrogation code it does. So when we when you have a, a view rendering, well, any any view file, Glass has a tendency to try and look ahead and see what the view file actually required. So. We did some work on startup time uh, optimizations. I mean, Glass, we spend a hell of a lot of time on, on optimization on Glass. So, you know, we we have a lot of performance metrics and we know exactly where we are with, with that. But like you said, uh, the the experience editor is one that has been a bone of contention. And I know um, like Cam Fiji has done a lot of work around, you know, being able to speed that up for developers so we don't have to wait quite so long for the experience editor to come up. And yep, that, yep. that's good work as well. Right, right. And speaking of Cam, Cam has actually got, you know, from a front end standpoint, I think we talked about it when Cam was on the show, uh, his his Dianoga module, um, this kind of gets more on the front end side, but that module specifically will will improve the performance of your images on a site. So it will it will run your PNGs and your and your JPEGs through compression algorithm. Um, if you kind of dig into how it works, it actually it plugs in as Sitecore is going to cache that it cache that onto disk in the in the media cache. It will run it through there and actually uh, that's a that's a I guess a one that I I hadn't thought of until you mentioned his name was the 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 Dianoga module uh, is a great way to to just it slightly improve the performance of your of your images yeah i mean i've, I've tended to find uh also like in running production tests i've tended to find that um by locking those worker threads that are available for uh you know for doing other things i guess you know all of the imagery all of the te- speed you can save on on getting the images off disk and serving them to the page so serving them to the end user is is all going to help you know so it's, it's all going to be additional time that the server can be spending doing others which is great 
Okay, moving on, I think I, I want to come back to, we, we started talking a little bit about content search, but one was just kind of being being cognizant of the pipelines that you extend. So if, you, if I've seen a lot of developers will kind of, the, the nice thing about Sitecore is a, a lot of it is, is exposed. You don't even have to, to run .peak or, or uh, or reflector to actually understand what's going on because if you look at the configuration file, uh, a lot of the pipelines that do much or, or accomplish much of the functionality of Sitecore are just right there. And Sitecore names their classes quite well. So if you look at something like the HTTP request begin pipeline, you can see kind of all the steps that Sitecore goes through when a request comes in. Uh, so it you know goes through and figures out what database you want, what site you want, what item. It, it does all that resolution. And it's, it's a very tempting place to put in custom code. The, the challenge I've seen is going back to uh, going back to Sitecore queries. I came in on a project. They were having some performance issues. There was, you know, definitely a a performance issue on every single page request, and that we ultimately traced it back to a pipeline component inside the HTTP request begin pipeline that was performing a Sitecore query to look up some value. And I can't remember, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was doing a, a, a Sitecore query in there that ends up walking a large portion of the tree. And the thing you have to keep in mind is that thing runs for every single request. So the the pattern there is if you're gonna if you're gonna extend that, you know, get in and get out really quick, make your pipeline component very uh, very lightweight. Check conditions very early that if you know the condition, you know, knowing that you're running in every single request that comes into the site, checking the conditions that you're actually looking for, and then just getting out of the way as fast as possible is definitely a good pattern to follow. Um, but to, to kind of, you know, there are there are other pipelines out there that may not be obvious uh, that I've seen performance issues in. Uh, there's another one that commonly gets extended is the save UI function. So that, that pipeline runs when you save an item in the content editor. Um, and it is, if I remember right, it's one of the few that, uh, one of the few save events you can actually hook and kind of get the, this is the before and this is the after. So you can do, do a comparison. And if you're doing a lot of work on that, that, that pipeline actually blocks the content editor thread. So your that pipeline runs and the, the content editor is not responsive until that pipeline ends. Uh, and if you're doing a, a, a long running process, uh, in the, the case I'm thinking of is on saving an item, a whole bunch of other references get updated. And there was some custom token expansion going on. And the content editors were just saying that you know, it felt slow and sluggish. And it was because that UI was being blocked because of that pipeline. I guess, have you seen any other pipelines you see people kind of commonly commonly put stuff maybe that they shouldn't or kind of try and do too much at once? Yeah, I mean, I had one uh, had one particular client. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but the, they basically wanted to generate, uh, every time you did a, a full republish, they wanted to regenerate the sitemap for the site. So they decided to hook into the uh, publish end pipeline and dutifully walk the entire tree. So yeah, that was... Uh, that pretty much killed publishing for that particular client. Uh, you know, it was taking many minutes to, to sort that out, and obviously locking any other any other content editors from doing that. So that was uh, that was fun. And I think there was um, uh, there was another similar one where we had to we we had to post off data to um, a third party piece of software that would that would analyze that data and it would get give us back uh, a bunch of taxonomies, and those taxonomies would be applied 
retrospectively to the item during the uh, during the save uh, pipeline. And what what that would do again, if that third party service was running a bit slow, we would uh, we would end up kind of locked in again this thread problem. So it's very very similar to what you described before. Right, right. So I mean, I think a tactic, you know, the one I, I end up employing on where the the save action was blocking it was actually firing that off as a background job. So at least that that. You know, we still, there was nothing we could do. We were updating literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of other items with different tokens and so forth. Um, but to not block the UI thread, we put that on a background job. So, uh, you know, Sitecore has got a really nice mechanism for managing kind of background threads for, for processing stuff. We took all the code that was running, that was blocking the UI thread and just threw that into, you know, a, a function that gets called by the job system. And, and ultimately all those tokens did get, did get updated, but, um, you kind of have to, you, you just have to watch what's going on. I've seen so many times where I think the request begin pipeline is usually the one that's the, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest challenge. I think if you look, uh, if you look on marketplace, there are, I don't know how many redirect modules. And if you look at a lot of them, they, uh, a lot of the early ones used, uh, use the HTTP begin request to go look and walk it, you know, walk a section of the tree where you defined all your, uh, all your redirects. So that, you know, as the number of redirects in Sitecore grew, the fact that every single request was coming in and then checking to see, do I need to redirect this request or do I pass it on to normal page processing? The more redirects that got there, the slower each and every page got. Um, I think some of the more modern redirect modules uh, employ employ content search, which doesn't incur the penalty of getting slower with the more items that you get uh, to find. Uh, you know, they they still plug in in that that place in the in the pipeline, but they, but they, they go a lot faster and they're not spending time walking the tree, looking to see, is there a valid redirect that I need to handle? Um, so that's the, you know, that's another place where I, I guess I've, I've, I've commonly seen that. I guess, you know, following on from that, you know, really in terms of diagnosing these performance problems, the, you know, I think it, it highlights how critical that uh, correct cycle patching is because you know, I've seen so so many clients who've just bodged the uh, you know bodged something into the sitecore.config, and you you know you'll never find it unless unless you spend your entire life in showconfig.aspx, you're never going to find it. It's, whereas you know if you've got if you've got stuff patched in and patched out, you can quickly just change the name and and see if that you know see if you can find areas where you think it might be, and then and then from there onwards you can start to you know you can start to really drill down into why that particular part of code is actually causing you a problem. And that, that just saves so much time, I think, in the diagnosis of, of issues on the solution. I think, yeah, but, you know, I think in performance terms, it's particularly important. I think it's very easy, easy to be able to, to kind of have a look at that. Well, looking at content search, uh, this was, this was one, uh, I think that, was put in place though the whole content search API that came in kind of the Sitecore seven timeframe of uh, a better a better access to the the search backend and whether that's Lucene by default or you're using Solar or even or or even kind of third party uh, search providers such as such as Coveo kind of having that search provider uh, and an ability to run kind of a standard link query have that translated into to use the the index certainly made using indexing a lot a lot easier, but I still think it, it's also an area I've seen fraught with um, a fraught with you know 
you have to kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes before you kind of do something that may not perform properly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the one of the common areas I've seen around that tends to be, because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the content search API overall. I, you know, I would still favor talking to indexes directly if I can, but when you look at, uh, what developers do, I've seen it in, I've seen plenty of instances where, you know, if you put a where in the wrong place, you might find, you might well find that you actually you're actually effectively enumerating the collection as as is, and then start to actually look through each item in that collection by pulling it out of Sitecore, and that that can be a real kind of problem because you that's not really what the developer intended to happen. And mm-hmm. I've seen that quite, I've seen that in quite a few instances where, um, like I said, they, especially if you don't pay attention to you know enumerable versus iqueryable as well, that that can be a, a little bit of fun. So, you know, like I said, it will just force you. It will just force the enumeration, and once the enumeration's done, you know, you're going to you can be going to like a thousand items, and that you know, that a nice way to kill your sidecore instance as well. Right, right, definitely. That was, I guess, where I was going with that is that if you don't write that query properly, and given that it's it, you know, it's nice, it, it, it you get kind of the 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 nice look and feel of link, and so it, it feels very familiar. But like like you like you pointed out, this is an iQueryable interface that actually ends up getting translated into a search query against, you know, Lucene or Solar. So such that if you, you know, get your results back and then tack aware onto that or, you know, kind of do do your skip and take on that if you're kind of doing any sort of paging, you may be bringing, you know, you may be running your query against the, the index that's, you know, very bringing back a ton of records and then you're doing all of that stuff in memory. Uh, which, you know, as you mentioned, you can, you can quickly hurt your Sitecore instance if you're just processing way too much memory as opposed to letting, letting your search index do what it's good at of take all of these criteria and just only give me what I care about. And even saying, I only want, you know, the first 10 of these, or I want, I want these in pages of 10, but, you know, give me the fifth page of them. Uh, the index is really, really fast at doing that. So it's definitely something to kind of to be cognizant of, if, you know, when you're using content search to kind of know where where the query is actually getting executed and a great place to, to actually kind of watch when that query is, is actually out, uh, executed if you're working on your local system is to watch the, watch the, the, the search log. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, on that, on that front, I guess, you know, it's quite easy to forget that if you're using solar, for example, the, the actual, the actual traffic, um, and the, the level of traffic you're sending over, over the wire can actually be a, a factor in your, in your solution as well. It's not so often that you, you tend to find that, you know, it tends to be pretty good these days, but you know, if I've seen instances where they've got, you know, where clients have got multiple, effectively multiple copies of the CM, uh, content management, sorry, nodes, uh, running and they're all trying to index and they're trying to hit solar quite hard and it's and solar becomes maybe a bottleneck in, in certain cases, but it's a, it's usually misconfiguration in, in those kind of instances rather than, you know, a natural intrinsic problem with the tools. Yeah, and I saw it even with uh, you know on a Coveo project I was on. Um, Coveo under the scenes with its with its link parser actually executes the query against the Coveo server. So it's got you know a really fast index running on a dedicated server, but it still has to serialize all of its data over the wire. And in, in running a profiler, we we saw that 
you know, we were serializing way too much data and spending so much time kind of, you know, Coveo seems to ship it as XML over the wire. So we spent so much time deserializing XML that, you know, when we ran, uh, I think I used at the time I used the ants profiler to actually see where, where were we spending all this time? Cause these search, you know, these search pages were kind of slow and we found that we were spending almost all of our time deserializing XML and we realized we were pulling way too many results back and not, and, and not letting the index, um, you know, kind of do a lot of the paging. So, you know, we were only going to display 10 items of this query anyways. So, you know, we, we made sure that that got sent off in the query such that it only returned the 10 that we were, you know, that we cared about. So page one, we got the first 10, then we got the next 10 and so forth. And that definitely, you know, saved on performance issues just because, when you're dealing with a search provider such as Solar or Coveo, where you're having to ship that over the wire, you you you've kind of have to deal with that you know serialization deserialization piece of it as well. Oh, in a similar kind of vein, um, when you're using Solar or any kind of wire-based uh, search provider, when you when you actually request your data, you you in an ideal world you want to only get the data the data back that you require. Now, when I typically used to work with, with Lucene directly. Um, I would never bother to. Uh, I would never bother to store a lot of your, um, say, rich text data. And I think I think a lot of misconfiguration is done around that particular part of Sitecore because in many cases your rich text data you don't want stored. You don't want it to come back as part of your result set. You want it just to be there to to be able to perform, you know, uh, fuzzy queries or you know whatever your particular query types are against that data. So, it, you know, you can you can save a lot of wire performance by, you know, potentially reducing the, a lot of your rich text fields back down to just being um, indexed only, not not stored as well. Yep, yep, definitely. Definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, and I think that maybe the, the final thing to kind of go over was, and this is, this is actually why somebody told me to reach out to you, because if you seem to have done extensive research on, in, in Sitecore using MVC, using controller renderings versus view renderings. And I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of people where their controller rendering literally just takes, takes and converts, you know, whether it's the data source item or the context item, converts that into a model and returns the view. Um, that, you know, part of, you know, why somebody said you, you should talk to Nat about that is I've, you know, there's kind of in the back of my head, I've heard that that's not really, you know, using, if you can get away with view, view renderings, you should, because they're a lot more performant than controller renderings. I don't know if you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I did a lot of research in a, and I've been involved a lot with Sitecore on, on MVC performance as a whole. So obviously, I, you know, some of those findings have made their way into Sitecore.boost, uh, which is, uh, you know, an open source project that I've been experimenting with, you know, some of some it allows some MVC based uh, pipelines to be optimized, but in the particular instance of controller versus view renderings, yeah, um, control renderings are significantly less performant than view renderings simply because you have to invoke the controller in the first place, which means you've got to go to the controller factory. And when you go to the controller factory, in many of our instances, in many instances, you'll be looking at going down to you know sort of you know simple injector or autofac or something like that to resolve all of our dependencies for our controller and bring those all back out. So that has an intrinsic cost to it. And in actual fact, just calling the controller factory for straight, you know, new objects, even that has a cost to it. So I was fine. I can't remember the exact figures off the top of my head. I don't have them with me, but it's, it's, you know, you're talking a quite a significant performance deficit and definitely when, as you start to put more and more renderings on screen, that performance deficit kind of increases. So at some points on, on some of my test rigs, I was finding a, like a, 
simply displaying hello world was finding a something like a 5,000 request a minute difference between control renderings and view renderings. So yeah, I guess on that front, especially if you've got an ORM as well, something like that, you know, so if you're using glass, for example, you can use effectively make glass the controller for you anyway. Right. So glass will, glass will give you back a model of a type, you know, which represents something in site core and, you know, it, it, glass is fairly well optimized and there's a lot done on that side. So it will give you the model back immediately you can use the model. So you have no actual needs to go to a controller runner and say, go and build me a model and do something with it and give me the, you know, give me the model back so I can use it in a, in a kind of, um, strongly bound the strongly typed way yeah i think I, I think the guidance is just be judicious in the use of controller renderings they definitely do have their place because there are times where you know if you're accepting form input and um you know sending that off to somewhere that's obviously not gonna uh not gonna be well suited by a view rendering um or if you have kind of some some really custom logic uh in in building your model out um, maybe you might not be able to get away with embedding that all within, say, your glass model or something. But um, but definitely be judicious in using in, in using controller renderings and use use view renderings until you can't use them, and then and then kind of go to a controller rendering because they still, you know, you still, going back to the the kind of the opening of the show, you can you can mark those as as cacheable and have the HTML output cached. Um, so therefore you're not hitting, you know, that performance, that, that performance limitation every time. Um, so there's definitely ways around it. And, you know, there are times where you can't avoid using them you may have, uh, you know, something that you need to do that can only be done in a controller, but I've seen countless times where it's just, you, you open their controller file and it's, it's literally two lines of code that instantiates a model and then returns a view. And so, like you said, we spend all this time trying to figure out, do we need to inject anything? Do we, now I've got to actually instantiate this class and call it, whereas Sitecore will just, you know, send everything right to the view and render it. Whereas Sitecore is effectively acting as the controller in the MVC pattern. I think uh, one of the things I've said to uh, quite a lot to, you know, aspiring uh, and junior Sitecore developers as they're coming up, you know, around this subject is, is basically... (laughs) Be a lazy developer. So you know, if if you if you have a need, if you have a controller, I expect you to unit test it. Do you want to unit test it? Is there anything in there to unit test? If there isn't, don't do it. What's the point? You know, the a view rendering is going to be quicker. It's going to be easier to maintain in the long run. So actually, the point of creating a control in the, the whole point of the MVC pattern, I suppose, is to enable unit testing. So if you're not going to unit test it, then why have you got a controller? I think is the is the easiest way I've ever spoken about it with developers you know no logic to test not going to test it don't need it so you may as well just spit it straight out you know using like i said with glass i use quite a lot obviously just spit it straight out of your orm use it use it straight on screen and if you're not using glass obviously you know at html.sitecore.field and does the same thing so Yep. Yep. Well, we're kind of running up on time. Nat, I, I really, again, appreciate you kind of jumping on last minute to talk about this. I think I would, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it out to, to folks uh, listening in. If you guys have some performance stuff that you commonly see that you wish uh, we would have covered, definitely send that in. Uh, the email address to, to reach us at the show here is info at coresampler.fm. Uh, and definitely, I think well, it might it might turn this into kind of a, a recurring um, a recurring episode that you know we kind of revisit as as time goes on because obviously the 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 Sitecore platform has evolved over the years um a lot of stuff that 
we used to have to deal with isn't there anymore. Psychor does take a lot of this stuff to a lot of this stuff to heart and actually fixes uh, a lot of the performance issues in their system. It's definitely uh, that's one great thing about the platform is they definitely take the performance of the platform very seriously. So, um, but yeah, I'd appreciate hearing from you guys out there if you if you got a common thing that you've seen people do or just want to kind of share a, a horror story of of something you've run into. Uh, definitely reach out. It's uh, info at coresampler.fm. Uh, Nat, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm online on Twitter. If you, if you look for me at Cardinal252, uh, or uh, obviously, uh, if you go to my blog, it's cardinalcore.co.uk. And there's, a, there's an entire about section there, so you can... And definitely, we'll put links to we'll put links to your blog in the show notes because you you've covered uh, quite a bit of performance issues on your blog in the past, and we'll definitely uh, get that linked up. Nat, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, thank you. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There, you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.